Hello, and welcome to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alerts podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Megan Liz Smith, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Michael Stacy. Hello. And Annika Merrilies. Hey, Megan. Should we get started? Yeah, let's speak a little startup. It is Friday, June 29th, 2018. Today, we'll kick things off with a roundtable discussion about three things. Topic one, Amazon's effort to create a network of delivery startups then the Supreme Court's ruling on online sales tax and what that means to small businesses. And finally, Casey Crew's growth from a sports rec league into something much bigger. After that, we'll have two interviews. First, Mason Aid, a diversity and inclusion specialist, talks about how startups can be more inclusive. Then, Tynan Stewart of the Columbia Missourian discusses his recent reporting on leadership changes in the True Falls Documentary Film Festival. Amazon wants to help entrepreneurs create their own delivery startups. The Amazon Delivery Service Partners program is designed to help independent contractors operate up to 40 vehicles. Amazon says they will take an active role in these startups getting off the ground. Entry cost for the Delivery Service Partners starts at $10,000. What are we thinking? This is pretty clearly something targeted at addressing the so-called last mile challenge, which is something that every company in the logistics business has grappled with. Uh, my favorite stat about this is that 28% of the cost in the logistics biz comes in that very last leg, basically getting it from the truck to the user's home or mm. business or whatever that may be. Uh, Amazon has tried a variety of things to address this, from Amazon Key to Amazon Flex. The company took a lot of heat for Amazon Flex because it was contingent labor, sort of a, a gig-based system. Yeah. And this seems like a little bit of a response to that blowback. Yeah. So the Delivery Service Partners program uh, costs an initial $10,000 to join. And Dave Clark, Amazon Senior Vice President of Worldwide Operations, has said that between 20 and 40 vehicles is a good size of a fleet. I have questions about this. I think the announcement raises as many questions as it does answer them. Namely, are, are the people sort of under the control of Amazon exclusively? Because then that sets up a situation similar to, for instance, Walmart, where if you become a supplier for Walmart, they have so much clout that you are sort of beholden to their desires. I wonder if the same thing will happen with these so-called yeah. small businesses or entrepreneurs and Amazon. All right. Moving on to the next one. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled in a 5-4 decision that states can require online retailers to collect sales tax on purchases from states where the retailer doesn't actually have a physical presence. Some of the arguments against this were related to small online businesses People talked about small online businesses having to navigate all these different state sales tax laws, which could be really complicated since the different states would have their different ways of implementing this. And then since the tax would be an added cost for shoppers, people also argued that it might make it more difficult for smaller online businesses to compete with larger online retailers. On the other hand, brick and mortar businesses were excited about the ruling because they thought it could help them compete better with online retailers. And I know a lot of people seem to be under the impression that this is an Amazon thing, but that is not really the case, is it? Not really. Amazon already collects sales tax for, for sales on items that it directly provides, since Amazon has locations in every state that collects sales tax. However, they don't collect this tax on third-party sales, and according to the Associated Press, Amazon has said third-party sales account for half of their purchases. Huh. I know that there's been a lot of discussion about what this will mean for small businesses, but I think it's also interesting to look at what this tax revenue would mean to local 
state and national governments. Um, nationally, there has been an estimate that $8.5 billion in tax revenue is being missed out on because of wow. the lack of online sales tax. Here in Missouri, estimates have suggested an additional $180 million to $275 million in tax revenue. Um, and then even more locally here in Columbia, the city manager, Mike Mathis, has suggested that this could provide a boost. He has expressed concerns in the past about Columbia's ability to continue providing city services as the city grows at sort of a breakneck pace. So um, I think a lot of local governments are really celebrating this decision. Right. Specifically here in Missouri, we don't know exactly what this means right away. Uh, the ruling doesn't mean anything happening immediately. It means that state legislatures will have to pass laws in order for this to actually happen. So shoppers are not going to, you know, today have to start paying those kinds of taxes. It depends on what lawmakers do with this ruling. And in Missouri, our legislature doesn't come back into session until January 2019. So there's a little bit of a waiting period. So we don't know exactly what will happen with this ruling. All right. So last but certainly not least... KC Crew got its start organizing rec sports leagues for adults in Kansas City. And now, there's so much more than that. Well, they have a lot going on. Um, we should <laughs> briefly shout out Startland News. The publication out of Kansas City has yeah. covered this pretty extensively. But one thing that KC Crew is up to is that they are setting up shop in Hy-Vee Arena. The uh, arena in Kansas City was formerly known as Kemper Arena. And it's being renovated as a youth sports facility. It's the venerable old arena that's hosted Final Fours and countless other things, but is now sort of being reimagined as a youth sports complex. Huh. They've also got a software, League Ally. The founder of Casey Crew, Luke Wade, he was a computer science major, and this was a thing that he had helped develop. And it's a scheduling software. Actually, the Kansas City Parks and Recreation Department is now using it, and they're shopping around with other startups and rec sports companies. And there's one other thing that KC Crew does, uh, an event, which they'll be expanding to a few other places. And I think the best way to introduce this is with a little sound bite. Yes, everybody, all at once. Go. Go. <laughs> Tommy Breeze. Tommy Breeze. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. No, get them. So that is a <laughs> zombie pub crawl, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. So Kansas City Crew does an end-of-the-world pub crawl where players go to a downtown area wearing flag football belts, and they have to try and get to each bar without their flags being grabbed by zombies. Wow. That sounds so fun. So they'll be expanding this event to Philadelphia, Houston, and Detroit. <laughs> also worth mentioning in the context of this story is that Luke Wade, the KC Crew co-founder, is also partnering on a new bar in Kansas City called Bar and Rec. Um, so that is not directly related to KC Crew, but is yet another project that Luke Wade is embarking yeah. on. Yeah, this is a good example of a startup that's really diversifying their portfolio. I mean, they've got software, they've got events, they've got a bar, they've got sports leagues. Where does it end? Don't know that it does end. I mean, this is a, an ambitious <laughs> agenda that they're tackling. And taking a step back and looking at the big picture, I think it's sort of indicative of a trend, which is investment in rec sports, which I think we sort of get caught up in professional sports and college sports and the billions of dollars and licensing agreements and TV deals that are involved in that. But here in rec sports, a lot of people have found opportunity. They're not the only example of this in Kansas City. No, they're not. Um, Elite Sports, which we did a story on last week or two weeks ago, is a company based in the Kansas City area, and they are in the midst of opening five rec sports facilities. And these aren't just any rec sports facilities. These are the more or less the Taj Mahals of rec sports facilities. 
They will have classrooms, lounges, full-service bars, na- nail salons. Oh, my God. Uh, with the thinking that a parent takes their kid to volleyball practice or soccer practice oh. or whatever it may be and doesn't have to leave the facility, they can have all the amenities they need oh. right there. So um, remains to be seen whether this will work, but it's an ambitious aim for a Kansas City area company. Hmm. That's it for the roundtable. Now on to our interviews. For our first interview, Annika Merrilies talked with Mason Aid. Mason taught an event this week at the Hatchery, a Columbia co-working space. And afterward, Mason and Annika discussed inclusivity and entrepreneurship. So Mason, are you there? Yes. Well, first things first, could you please just introduce yourself with your full name and your occupation? My name is Mason Aid, and I am a diversity and inclusion specialist. And how did you get started? I got started through working for the Center Project. The Center Project is Columbia's LGBTQ uh, community center. Through that, was asked to be on a couple of committees in Columbia and was then asked to do a training. So I did it, and I found that, that thing that just lit my heart on fire. And actually, a year ago today, I decided to make it a business and to pursue making this my occupation and not just a passion project. Um, And so I I was hoping to get a little bit of advice, uh, particularly for businesses that are just getting started. Um, So what are some of the ways to make sure that inclusivity is ingrained in a business from the very beginning? Some of the simplest things you can do is when you're in a position to hire, ask pronouns and preferred name on your applications, as well as if you're a service provider, have an intake form, having a pronoun line and a preferred name line uh, on an intake form is is amazing, as well as just being intentional and educating yourself. I thought it would be important to go over some of the points that you use to convey to people why it's so beneficial for businesses to be inclusive environments. And could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So, for example, I had an experience with a business here in Columbia that was not positive, and I will never go back to that business. So that's about $25 a month that I would have been spending there, you know, times 12 months, plus all of the friends who I tell not to go there because of one experience. And it will take a lot more than that to make it up. And so it's so easy for one experience to taint somebody's view of your business and then word of mouth happens. And so in your work as a consultant, what kind of questions do businesses approach you with? A lot of times it is the the kind of basic, okay, so I'm aware that I need to be inclusive, but I don't know how to start. And that's kind of the main thing is just trying to figure out what this looks like for their business specifically. What are What are some of the things that businesses can do, particularly for their websites, to make sure they're being inclusive? So inclusive imagery goes a really long way. There's some really great stock photos on various sites of, of people who are LGBT or, or people of color. And, you know, having, having diverse representation in your imagery is really awesome. And then as far as language goes, you know, it kind of varies more or less depending on what the field is. For example, saying couple instead of bride and groom or husband and wife or parents instead of mom and dad. 
Are there questions that people aren't asking yet or aspects of inclusivity that aren't getting enough attention yet? I think where we are currently is we view all of these diverse groups as separate, LGBT, people of color, people with differing abilities, when all of these communities overlap. And so we can't talk about LGBTQ inclusivity without talking about about race or about ability or, or any other group that, that we categorize people into. And I think that's one of the big things that is going to come to the forefront in the next few years is, is really looking at diversity and inclusion as a whole. Are there any other steps, anything else that we haven't talked about in terms of things that businesses can do in order to be inclusive? You know, some of the biggest things are, are really simple. You know, if you have frontline employees, having them trained, thinking about using gender-neutral language, and just being aware and mindful of inclusivity goes a long way to knowing what questions to ask and knowing where to turn and finding ways that work with your business. And, and Mason, are there, are there any other things that we haven't talked about today that you wanted to? Is there anything that I didn't ask that I should have asked? I think the biggest thing is just that inclusivity matters, and it's not just about your values, which are very, very important, but it adds value to your business. It's not just a feel-good thing. It's a practical, applicable thing you can do to build and grow your business and to make the world a little better. Well, thank you so much, Mason, for speaking with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Hi, everybody. I'm Drew Pilevsky, and I'm here to let you know that Speaking Startup is now looking for sponsors. If you're looking for a creative way to market to an audience of informed business decision makers across the state of Missouri, Speaking Startup is the place for you. For more information about how you can promote your company through Speaking Startup, check out the link in the description. Back to the program. Now, a conversation with Tynan Stewart from the Columbia Missourian. He wrote a recent article about the future of the True False Documentary Film Festival. One of the co-founders, David Wilson, announced in April he'd be stepping down from his current role as festival programmer. Hi, Ty. Hi, Megan. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So, what exactly is True False? It's a documentary film festival. It's referred to as The Fest by people who know. It was started 15 years ago by David Wilson and Paul Sturtz here in Columbia. And before that, they had created Ragtag Film Society. Right. They were definitely part of the local cinema culture before they started True False. Can you explain the story that you just wrote and how you were drawn to it? So, yeah, David Wilson announced in April on True False's website and then on his own social media yeah. that he would be stepping back from programming the films. So curating the films that would show at the fest. Yeah, aka watching every single documentary that is going to show, which <laughs> is a big time consumer. Yeah, the way he put it to me was he's watched several thousand documentaries over the years. <laughs> so what is David going to do now since he's stepping down from the programming side of True False? Because he's not leaving mm -hmm. True False, correct? No, he's not leaving True False. He told me that he's going to be focusing more on what they're calling special initiatives or special projects. Ooh. One of those is, this has already been announced publicly, but the Aletheia Project, huh. which came out of True False's, I believe now, 10-year partnership with the Crossing Church in Columbia. But the Aletheia Project is this, this initiative that it's going to bring True False films to megachurches across the U.S. Theologically conservative, specifically, 
it will be kicking off this fall. They're still in the planning stages, yeah. but it's off the ground. So they have located and identified churches that they're going to collaborate with, oh, even if they really don't have cool. the whole. Yeah, even if they don't have the whole lineup, they want to bring films to them that they may not have the opportunity of seeing in a normal setting. Yeah, David told me that the impetus for the Alethea project came partly out of the 2016 election and the feeling huh. that large parts of the country weren't really talking to each other or understanding each other. And um, I'm sure we've all seen the statistic that a large portion of evangelical voters voted for Donald Trump. And yeah. there's, I mean, that's sort of a really broad generalization of complex numbers. but No, but it's a fair statement. Yeah, and... I I think that part of this project comes from the concern that um, different segments of the United States just maybe don't even have the same, like there's no ground for them to meet and discuss and it's sort of just a discussion past each other or even a shouting past each other. Yeah. I'm curious, when you were talking to David, how did you feel about all this? <laughs> he told me it was a little... He's a little young for anything to be known in his life's work, but <laughs> true-false is definitely something that he seems to be known for. Um, yeah. And I think that he takes a lot of pride in the work that he has done with the festival. So. Yeah. It, I mean, I volunteered at True-False the past few years, and I've seen firsthand it really impacts people's lives, mm -hmm. and he will always be able to be proud of that. So... Thank you for joining me, Ty. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Just one more segment to go. It's a look at some important numbers in startup and entrepreneurship news. Should we say it all together? Can, can I, I get, get your, your digits? digits? <laughs> all right, Michael. Can I get your digits? Never thought you'd ask. Wow. My number this week is 10,000, and that is the number of locations that Enterprise Holdings has across the globe. The St. Louis-based rental car company opened its 10,000th location this week, and it is a Missouri entrepreneurial success story. The late Jack Taylor founded the company in St. Louis back in 1957. He was a used car salesman. He noticed an opportunity to rent cars to people away from airports, and 60 years later, you have the huge company that it is today. Now, Taylor died in 2016, but his entrepreneurial legacy certainly lives on. Annika, can I get your digits? This week, my number is 4,000. That's the number of square feet of the new Colorado location for Sugar Fire Smokehouse, which is a St. Louis-based barbecue chain. And I'm going to be real honest, guys. I saw some exciting food news, and I just found a number so I could bring it up. <laughs> Megan, can I get your digits? Mine is 30 million. That's the number of new shares authorized for sale by Imperfect Produce, a startup that sells flawed fruits and vegetables and delivers them to customers' doorsteps. It's been a good conversation, guys. Let's end it with an entrepreneurship tip from Richard Branson, the founder of Virgin Group. If you can improve people's lives, you have a business. This has been Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. This episode was produced and edited by me, Megan Liz Smith. Our theme music was produced by Poddington Bear. Thank you to Michael Stacy and Annika Merrilies for hosting with me. We'll speak to you next week.